There's a lot of people saying, well, you should red flag it if it's uh, if you post pictures of guns or have any kind of the symptoms of all, of somebody that might be able to commit this kind of crime. But that's that's pushing surveillance. Well, what about people that are just gun enthusiasts? Right. You know, that people that love handguns the way some people love watches. You yeah. know, there's there's people that are enthusiasts of gun engineering. Yeah. And that's most of them. How's it going, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Arm Scholar Podcast. In this episode of the podcast, we are going to be reacting to an interview in a podcast between Joe Rogan and Lex Friedman. And in this podcast, they are reacting uh, pretty much, I believe, a couple days after the incident in Uvalde. They're talking about gun control, the national discussion about these shootings, what should be done, and whether or not gun control is actually effective, or whether or not these gun laws that are being put in place by the government at large actually have no impact and no effect. So let's dig into this and let's see what they have to say. What is the, like, when you're dealing with a school shooter type situation, like, what is the alternative, like, how else would you address it? You, you know, we want to find out what's wrong with this kid, right? He's dead. So you can't interview him. It's like, what caused it? Will we get an understanding of it? Do you hold the parents responsible? Like, what if you find out the parents were horribly abusive? Or what if you find out this is the product of schizophrenia, of uh, bullying in school? Like, what, what do you, like, how does one address it? I wrote this thing once that I said this country has a mental health problem disguised as a gun problem. And that's what it is. It's, yeah. the, there's, there's so many guns. There's more guns than there are people. It's not a I don't think it's a gun situation. So I want to stop right there because uh, there's a lot going on there. And this discussion more generally at large is talking about mental health. And they're kind of just brainstorming some potential solutions and just whether or not this can actually even be solved, um, which I appreciate people having this conversation, especially like big podcasters like Joe Rogan and Lex Friedman, where they're grappling with this concept of um, what is actually going on in our society. Why are these things happening? whether or not gun control is actually effective, but there's, it's just so multifaceted. Um, and I, I, I agree that I think this has never been a true gun issue. This is a mental health issue. And the reason why I agree that it's a mental health issue is because even if you isolate out of these uh, spree shootings or whatever you want to call them, and you look at just gun violence in general, I know the anti-gun side and the um, anti-gun and the left-leaning side loves to throw out that term gun violence. And then inside of gun violence, they include other things like so-called mass shootings. And even in the definition of mass shootings, the definition is so broad, it changes from source to source. Oftentimes, it just simply uh, maybe two to three individuals being injured in any one incident. And it's not even related to incidents like this that happen at school or other areas. A lot of times it's gang related stuff and crimes being associated into that definition of mass shooting. And sometimes they even throw in the statistics, the perpetrator themselves being injured could then actually get it to be categorized as a mass shooting. And like I said, there's just so much things in that, but even with the gun violence definition, if you look at these statistics, most of this gun violence statistics or gun violence homicides or gun homicides, a lot of times it is um, suicide related. It is self-inflicted injuries, and that makes up a large sum of the actual gun violence statistic that you don't hear the gun, um, the anti-gun side talk about quite often. And oftentimes they overlook that and they love to throw those numbers in there because they love to conflate these numbers to increase these numbers to make this situation look worse than what it really is. And I don't think you can change the fact that there's 
And I don't think it's wise to take the guns away from the people and leave all the power to the government. We see how they are even with an armed populace. They still have a tendency towards totalitarianism. And the more increased power and control you have over people, the easier it is for them to do what they do. And there's a natural inclination when you are a person in power to try to hold more power and acquire more power. Again, very interesting because he's talking about you know how many firearms are actually out there in public. Uh, we never really know, and which is awesome. I don't think we should know actually how many firearms are out there um, because a federal registry is illegal. We have federal laws against a federal registry, but we have states in you know like the state of California who try to put in place their state level registries. Um, again, like we live over under here in the state of California, and then we've had um, multiple bills be introduced to want to introduce a federal level registry, and then we even have information that the ATF is engaged in unlawful registries searchable registries and shout out to gun owners of America who found some of that information. Um, so I don't think that we should know how many firearms are actually out there. Again, we have a federal law against a registry because registries always lead to confiscation. Look what happened in Australia. Look what happened just historically in some of the really bad nations that went totalitarian and um, went against their populace and confiscated firearms and did harms on their populace. It always starts with a registry and then leads to confiscation. And again, I'm not telling you guys anything you don't know, but, you know, just one aspect to that. But the estimates some people throw around are about, you know, 300 million plus firearms. Um, so they're saying and it could even be more. Sometimes they say one or two firearm for every American um, is about what it, they tried to say. But we never re will really know. And I don't think we ever should know. But then going off of even further, what they're talking about there is the concern of why, again, we wouldn't want a registry and we wouldn't want to have the government know how many farms are out there and who have them is because the more power the government gets, the more tyrannical they become. And, you know, you don't have to point to anything else other than recent events with the lockdowns, with the uh, way the government reacted to that. Um, and I think the pandemic time, the lockdowns opened up a lot of people's eyes about the utility and the importance of the Second Amendment. We saw so many people for the first time ever go out and purchase firearms because they saw how important it was that you couldn't rely on the police to protect you when there was a lot of bad things happening on just culturally and in our society and some major cities were having a lot of unrest. Uh, a lot of people understood finally the utility and the importance of the Second Amendment and that one of the core aspects of the Second Amendment is your own self-defense, your family self-defense, others self-defense. And then the other aspect of the Second Amendment, of course, is to fight back or resist a tyrannical government, either foreign or domestic. And that's kind of what Joe's hitting on here about you know, this is the concern we have a lot on the pro-gun side, and a lot of people are saying, well, why do you fight every single little law, every single thing, you know, are you just so worried about that slippery slope? And absolutely we are because, you know, we have so many federal laws in place, we have so many state-level laws, gun control laws in place, and it's never enough. The anti-gun side always wants to pass more laws. They are always proposing more laws. They want to take more and more rights. And for example, I would point you to this a perfect example, California in their magazine ban or their ban on so-called large capacity magazines, which California defines as simply any magazine that holds more than 10 rounds. Now, originally in the state of California, when they passed their law, there was a grandfather provision in the law. So they said, if you owned a magazine prior to this date, um, you could still possess it lawfully, but any purchases after this specific date going forward, no longer lawful. You can't purchase those. So that was the law they put in place originally. And they said, you know, don't worry about it. 
you know, we're going to pass this law, but we're grandfathering in your possession. You can keep the magazines you want to have. But then just fast forward a few years, all of a sudden, California, the state legislator, the tyrants come back in and say that wasn't enough. And then they tried to say we need to go back in and we need to ban even the grandfather magazines that we said prior would be lawful. Now we're going to change the law and we're going to ban even the grandfather magazines. So that's why we are always fighting against every single piece of gun control, because we know the government, these anti-gun individuals, these anti-gun groups will never be satisfied. They may say all they're going to do is touch this thing, but then all of a sudden down the road, they decide, nope, we're going to go even further. And then they try to ban even more. And even some of these ones like we've seen recently with the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act, which again was passed in direct response to the incident in Uvalde, a lot of people were pointing at it, you know, it was bipartisan is what it was claimed. You just had a bunch of rhinos in the Congress join the liberals to pass this bipartisan gun control law. And a lot of people, even gun owners were saying, well, it's not that bad. They didn't do X, Y, and Z. But now we're starting to see the ramifications of that, where we are seeing that uh, the federal government through that funding is incentivizing more states to pass red flag laws. They expanded some of the records for and to um, go after 18 to 20 year olds and their purchase of firearms. And then even more so now, all of a sudden, the ATF is going to try to put in place a new rule through the language in the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act to now target private party transactions to try to restrict private party transactions, just the private party sales that historically nationwide have always been lawful, you know, since the founding of our nation have been lawful. Now, all of a sudden, through that piece of gun control legislation that maybe some people weren't that concerned about, now, all of a sudden, they're going to take a mile through the inch that was given, and they're going to try to restrict your rights even more. And it's never, there's never an inclination to give more power back to the people, to give more freedoms back to the people. Freedom's loss are rarely regained. The situation is, should you be able to own a gun to defend yourself if you're a law-abiding citizen and you know that the police are horribly understaffed and you know that crime and violence are real things? And I, you know, I personally know people who have been robbed. I know people who have had home invasions. I, I know people that have been in gunfights. What should we do? Should you leave these people unarmed and to be at the mercy of a criminal? Or should what, was she, what should we do? Should we red flag any kid who writes an awful poem or draw something up on his uh, notebook? Yeah, that, that, that discussion comes up in terms yeah. of like basically NSA style surveillance. A anybody that posts a gun, should you be allowed to post pictures of guns? Because the kid, this particular. So this is one of those things that pops up every single time we have one of these incidents is you will have the anti-gun side pushing for red flag laws. They did it directly after Uvalde. Through the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act, they originally wanted to get a nationwide red flag law. They weren't able to do that. So what they did is they held out about $750 million to incentivize states to implement the red flag laws that they have on the books already more aggressively. So the federal government was saying, here's all this money. Go enforce your state level laws if you have them. And then also they held out federal funding to those states that don't have. And they said, we will give you all this money if you put in place your state level laws. Now, red flag laws have so many issues in their own right. They violate so many fundamental constitutional rights. Um, 
due process, Second Amendment, um, just so many things. I mean, I can't even cover it all in the single video. What I would recommend is you guys go watch the T-Rex Arms Red Flag Laws video that they recently put out. I was actually able to help them a little bit with the script that they put together for that video. Can't recommend it enough. I'll actually link it down in the details section so you can watch that after this video. Um, I think it's amazing and it covers red flag laws. And, and, and why that one was relevant is because even after that incident in Tennessee, now you have the Tennessee state you know, legislator trying to pass their state level equivalent to a red flag law. And again, every single time one of these incidents pops up, they want to introduce a red flag law. And they act as if these red flag laws are going to be able to stop any of these incidents. You know, we've seen some of these incidents happen in states that have red flag laws and they've done absolutely nothing. A lot of times also, these individuals are in direct contact with some sort of law enforcement. They are in direct contact potentially even with like law enforcement agencies like the FBI and absolutely nothing is done. So what makes you think even more so that a red flag law is going to actually stop these incidents when a lot of times these individuals are already in contact with law enforcement or law enforcement already in aware. And if they wanted to, potentially they could have done something, but they didn't. And a red flag law usually is used against law abiding people. We've seen red flag laws recently have expanded definitions where they want to expand that the people who could try to get something like an ex parte red flag against you. An ex parte essentially means that um, law enforcement on their own could go to a court without you knowing, and there is some sort of fiat hearing that happens um, without you knowing, where then the law enforcement can go confiscate your firearms, prevent you from being in possession of firearms and also ammunition and firearms accessories, and they can do that all without you knowing, without any due process, without notice, hearing your ability to confront, you know, in violation of your Second Amendment rights of you being able to possess firearms, uh, restrict your ability to purchase in the future. Um, all that stuff could happen without you even knowing, and. One of the things that they're actively trying to do as well through red flag laws is expand the group of people who could bring those claims against you. No longer is it just law enforcement. Now it can be um, spouses, intimate partners. They expand the definition of what an intimate partner is. You know, it could be pretty much any casual acquaintance, potentially um, colleagues, friends, people at your job, medical professionals, um, you know, the definition of people who could bring these oftentimes baseless claims against you and violate your Second Amendment rights and your, your right to due process. This could all happen through people you barely know, people who barely know you or maybe just have a vendetta against you. And then all of a sudden your rights are stripped away from you. Uh, gentleman, I think on his 18th birthday, got two ARs, uh, two rifles. From his family? No, he bought it. He bought them. Uh, which is a lot of people are asking. I was uh, vaguely paying attention to the details, but you're talking about so for ammunition is pretty expensive. He's, and so he got he somehow was able to afford two rifles and ammunition. Which is, there's complexities around that. Yeah. So the complexities he's talking about, which I'm I'm not sure if everybody's aware of, is this individual in the Uvalde specific incident. Um, I believe purchased was like one or two Daniel Defense rifles and some EOTechs and. You know, very expensive things that an 18 year old, I don't know how that individual afforded. Maybe they just threw on a credit card. I'm not sure. Um, you know, many of you are aware that Daniel Defense rifles are not cheap by any means. I have one Daniel Defense upper 
and I believe it cost me like $1,100 or maybe a little bit less than that on sale or something like that. Um, you know, I have a lot of really nice rifles, but because this is what I do, I'm in this profession of firearms. I make firearms content here on YouTube, so I can afford a lot of the expensive things. And the question is, you know, how does this 18 year old have money to afford all these really expensive rifles that a lot of gun owners can't afford? So that's what Lex is hitting on there. But like, there's a lot of people saying, well, you should red flag it if it's, uh, if you post pictures of guns or have any kind of the symptoms of all, of somebody that might be able to commit this kind of crime. But that's, that's pushing surveillance. Well, what about people that are just gun enthusiasts? Right. You know, that people that love handguns the way some people love watches. You yeah. know, there's there's people that are enthusiasts of, you know, gun engineering. Yeah. And that's most of them. Yeah. That's most gun The vast owners. majority of them. So it's much more mental health. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a great point. And Lex is hitting on here, like, maybe you could potentially rad flag anybody who posts a picture about firearms. And that's kind of the concern with a lot of gun control, red flag laws, and, and a lot of these anti-gun laws that are put in place is who gets to determine who gets, you know, who gets to determine what that line is when you're giving up this power. Oftentimes it's the government. And so the government gets to determine, you know, at what point someone is a potential a risk, um, you know, is a threat to themselves or to others. And a lot of times the government has an actual interest in putting that line very low because they want to confiscate firearms. They want to get firearms, you know, out of law-abiding people's hands. And it, even just, you know, a lot of people talk about the mental health aspect of this. Maybe you could red flag or prohibit people from purchasing firearms if the person is on some sort of medication or is having mental health issues. But again, who gets to draw that line? We're going to let the government determine who has some sort of mental health issue that then prohibits them for the rest of their life or maybe for potentially a really long time from purchasing or possessing firearms and ammunition and all these other items. You know, there are a lot, millions and millions of people in the U.S. who are on certain medications or potentially have had issues in the, their past with mental health, but maybe they're not a risk to themselves or anyone else at all. But, you know, the government then is going to come in and say, well, no, just because you're on this medication or just because you have had this type of incident in the past, you went to psychiatrist or whatever, we are then going to say you can't purchase or possess firearms you know, going forward. And then they're talking about, you know, what if someone's posting online and, you know, Joe's pushing back against that because, you know, there are plenty of people, you know, I know thousands of people because of what I do once again, who post firearms online. You know, a lot of my friends who are other content creators, they are posting videos and pictures all day long online of their firearms, of them shooting firearms. And yes, Joe's right. You know, a lot of people have interest in these things, not just because it's our fundamental right, because, but also because, you know, these firearms are also really cool. I mean, they, you know, a lot of people don't want to admit that, but firearms are, are really fun. I love to train. I love to shoot. Um, I love to build out firearms. I love the way my firearms look. I build them a specific way because I like the way they look. I don't like to, I personally don't post a lot of my firearms on Instagram or here on the YouTube channel, because that's not really what I do. But I have plenty of friends who, you know, they do gun reviews, they do equipment reviews, um, they do gear reviews, optic reviews, light reviews, you know, firearm reviews, ammunition review, they do all that stuff. They're posting all day long and even just casual people. I'm sure a lot of you guys who are watching this video here, 
I'm sure a lot of you as well, maybe post pictures of your firearms online um, or share them with your friends or whatever, because, you know, you are a firearms enthusiast, like Joe's saying, you know, you are a law abiding gun owner. Um, you are exercising your right to keep and bear arms, you know, potentially even related to that. You're exercising your right to free speech um, by talking about firearms online, by posting about firearms online, by engaging in that type of conduct. And so, yes, it's it's. <laughs> I've seen this discussed quite a bit, especially when these incidents pop up where they're talking about like maybe we target people because they post certain things online. And again, that's a very, very scary line when you would say potentially you would give the government the authority to then enforce and restrict people's ability to keep and bear arms simply because they're posting something online. Health problem. And it's also in the full context of things, and this is a tragedy, but it's there's also an element to this that it's a tragedy the way a hurricane is a tragedy that there is cruel things happen in this world there is this tragic unexpected dark things happen in this world and it's dangerous to generalize from those problems into something like what i hear about there's a race war or there's a gun control problem as people sort of leverage these tragedies to make some kind of political statement, yeah. some kind of societal statement, versus dark, evil shit happens in this world. Yeah, so that's an amazing point that Lex is making there. Um, and this is just a general, I talk about this quite a bit. I've talked about this on the podcast already. And one of my general stances is, and I'm sure a lot of your guys' stances as well, you can't legislate away evil. You know, evil has existed for all of humanity and it will exist going forward. No amount of laws that you put in place will legislate away evil. I think also people try to formulate solutions to problems as if these problems have a limited amount of variables. Like if you have 100 people and you have a gun violence problem versus 330 million people that have all sorts of problems all sorts of issues with their past. And then actually something else I wanted to hit on that I just remembered that Lex was talking about is how these incidents are always used to then push a specific political agenda one way or the other. And like we saw, you know, we have a little bit of hindsight here with the Uvalde incident. You know, after Uvalde, um, you had the anti-gun side pushing for, you know, federal gun control. They wanted a lot. What they ended up getting and get got passed through the Bipartisan Safe Communities Act was a variety of gun control, which actually absolutely none of it would have prevented this specific incident or all the other incidents that were claimed to be concerned about. Psychology and abuse and trauma, medicine and psychoactive drugs and psychiatric disorders and I think you just described Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. All, all in one list. No, because I didn't leave in lying. So then I think they go off to a different discussion where they start talking about Johnny Depp and Amber Heard because this was, I believe, during the trial period of that. Um, so it's it, this is a really interesting conversation. And I love these type of conversations that are happening on these big platforms like the Joe Rogan podcast or like Lex Friedman has on his podcast or just podcasts in general. And I want to respond to this because I think this is one of those really good conversations where they are really grappling with the intricacies of this issue we're dealing with. And, you know, this is a pretty fresh uh, topic, especially at that time, because they're dealing, dealing directly with the incident in Uvalde. And, uh, you know, after the incident with, through the Bipartisan Safe Communities Act, which we are dealing with now, and we will be dealing with even heavier now with the ATF's 
current restrictions on private party transactions and, and them trying to um, interpret the, the through a new rule to ban those types of transactions. We're going to be dealing with that very heavily going forward. And there's going to be probably be a ton of litigation about that because of the Bipartisan Safe Communities Act and just because of ATF overreach. And again, we're dealing with so much ATF overreach issues in general because the pistol brace rule and the frames and receivers rule and the bump stock rule. And a lot of those things, again, a lot of those ATF rules and responses through the executive agency and the executive branch are done in direct response. Like they're mentioning, they are leveraging the incident to gain some sort of political capital to then put in place these rules. They want to use political buzzwords to pass laws, to take more power like Joe Rogan's talking about and never give that back because they will never give back what they get. And that's what we that's why we talk about these things on the channel. That's why I make these videos. That's why we build this community to fight back against these laws and talk about these lawsuits and talk about these cultural topics and discussions, because we know that the government has only one interest, and that is to get more power. And it is our job as law abiding people to fight back against that, to exercise our fundamental rights and to ensure that our fundamental rights, you know, are there for our next generation. So, again, I appreciate the podcast by, you know, Joe Rogan and Lex Friedman talk quite a bit about this topic of gun control and firearms in general. And I always appreciate that. So let me know what you guys think down below. If you have any questions, go ahead and comment down below and I'll try to answer best of my ability. And again, if you guys are listening to this on the audio side, uh, make sure you're leaving reviews. Um, you can write a review or just leave, you know, a five star review that really just help the algorithm over there. And if you're watching this over on the main channel, make sure you're subscribed to the channel, because again, all that stuff helps to grow the channel, helps to grow the podcast so that we can bring more information like this to more people and, you know, fight for our right to keep and bear arms. So as always, thank you all for watching. And don't forget this nation was built by armed scholars and this nation will be maintained by armed scholars.